0: seated. Take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we're continuing in our our study here through the book of Acts. And uh, last week we took a break because of Father's Day. A week prior we were in Acts chapter 7 where we looked at the life of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. And now we're in Acts chapter 8. Everybody bring your Bibles today. Did you bring a Bible? Or some device that has a Bible on it. Amen? Yes? you got to bring your Bibles and read your Bibles. Why is that? you got to check out the preacher. Make sure he's giving you the Word. Amen? Right? Not just self-help. Not just motivational talk. Not just psychobabble. We want the Word of God. Yes? Amen. Acts chapter 8. Today we're going to move into the life of Philip. And, uh, and how Philip was... A powerful soul winner. And uh, I love the story of Philip. It begins as the church is facing a a horrible persecution. The death of Stephen kicked off a a huge persecution against the early church. And um, chapter 8 begins by recalling that Stephen was stoned to death. And then in verse 3, it says that Saul, who will eventually become who? Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, prior to Christ, saw made havoc of the church, entering every house, and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Isn't that amazing? How the devil thought he was defeating the church, but the devil was actually playing right into the sovereignty of God that God used the persecution to advance the gospel throughout Judea and Samaria. Isn't that amazing? They went everywhere, not licking their wombs, not hiding, not being afraid, not being traumatized. They went everywhere just witnessing persecution. What did they do? Preach. They preached the word. Amen. Then Philip, Philip was one of the deacons, one of the seven deacons who were elected along with Stephen Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. It says down because Jerusalem is in, a, is in a high place, a high altitude, and so he went down off of the heights of Jerusalem to the city of Samaria, and he did what? What did he do? Amen. He preached. You can, you can help me out here a little bit, okay? All right? You can, this is a Pentecostal church. You can say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, clap your hands. All right and when I ask a question you can respond it's okay I won't get bothered by that Now the amazing thing about Philip is Philip just witnessed his fellow deacon his friend Stephen horribly violently Murdered. He was stoned to death, which was a horrible way to die. Typically, what they would do is they would take the victim and they would throw them off of a high, uh, off of some height, off of, a, off of a, a building top or off of a cliff. And the, the, the victim would fall on the ground and be wounded. And if the victim was still alive, they would turn the victim over onto his or her back. And then they would come up with large rocks, not just a little, you know, three quarter inch gravel. I mean, they'd come up with large rocks and they would throw them down right on top of the victim, on the chest, on the face, whatever, until the victim was dead. Philip had witnessed this happen to his friend Stephen. And as traumatic as that was, Philip stayed on mission. Everybody say on mission. He stayed on mission. He never lost focus of his purpose. He didn't hide out. He didn't lick his wounds. No, he stayed focused. He stayed on mission. Which means that wherever... He finds himself, wherever life takes him, that Philip will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he will declare his faith in his Savior openly. And this, my friend, is our purpose as well. That wherever we are in this world, Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. That wherever we go in this world, that we declare our faith openly and let it be known to whosoever will that yes, Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. This is our mission. And Philip never lost focus of his mission. And that's why I want to look at him this morning and I want to talk about Philip, the soul winner, and what he teaches us about being an effective witness. So Philip's in Samaria and he's declaring Jesus as Savior. And verse 6 says the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. What an amazing revival is going on here. I mean, this is just This is a huge mass evangelism crusade. And I like how it says that with one accord, the multitudes heeded the things spoken by Philip. So, in my mind, as a preacher, I imagine, you know, Philip standing up somewhere on a tree stump or on a large rock or something, and he's preaching. And after he preaches, he gives an altar call, and hundreds, if not thousands of people raise their hands, and they come forward in unison to receive Christ. With one accord, the multitudes heeded the things. And as the Holy Spirit now begins to regenerate people and fill people, we read how demons come screaming out of people, healings and and miracles are taking place. Later on, you see that even the city's leading sorcerer, whose name is Simon, history will later know him as Simon Magus. Simon receives Christ. He gets baptized. The city is filled with joy. It is an amazing, incredible, powerful, evangelistic event. But then something interesting happens. I want you to fast forward in Peter and Philip's narrative to verse 26. Verse 26, it says that an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and then it says, and behold, or he encountered a man Of Ethiopia. Notice the shift that occurs in Philip's story from this massive public ministry to a lonely road in the desert. It seems almost counterintuitive that God would take him out of such a a powerful public ministry where he's making a citywide impact and place him in a position of seclusion and obscurity. No spotlight, no crowds, no healings, no miracles, no demons cast out, no headlines, no social media following, no popularity, no one clapping and applauding and amening his sermon. The only thing that he has is an Ethiopian in a chariot. Now, I'm sure that Philip loved being used by God to preach to thousands. I'm sure that he loved seeing the miracles and the healings and the demonic deliverances. I'm sure that it was even gratifying to him to some degree where everyone in the city knew Philip's name. Everyone loved him. Everyone respected him. Everyone wanted to shake his hand and kind of stand next to him, right? But what we're about to learn here from Philip is that often the most impactful ministry is not what happens in the spotlight among the crowds, but what happens in the private place one-on-one. Verse 27, He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip was reaching huge amounts of people. But God calls him away to a lonely road in a desert place to encounter, to focus on one single soul. Why is that? It's because God needed Philip and us to see that, yes, you're called to the crowds and you're called to the multitudes, but you're also called to the roads and the highways of life upon which people travel every day to engage them with the gospel in their daily, everyday life. Now, you may not be a Philip. You may not have a spotlight on your ministry. But don't we all love the large gatherings, you know, the dynamic church Ministry where we all come together and, and we're fellowshipping with one another. We love to be where where the multitude gathers, where there's where there's the worship, right? And there's all the sights and the sounds of worship and, and the feel of the worship and the presence of God moving and 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 the preaching that's going on that stirs us and encourages us, and, and we pray for one another and, and we and we and we encounter healing and, and deliverance and, and miracles all in the context of the the huge huge gathering. But if we're not careful, we'll believe that our service, that our calling, that our purpose is limited to what happens in the house, where the crowd is, to the place where the programs are, and where all that dynamic ministry is occurring where we say, oh, I'm called, yes, I'm, I'm called to be a deacon. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be on the worship team. I'm called to be an usher. I'm called to be a royal ranger commander. Yes, yes, we're called to those things in the house among the crowd, but we're also called to that road upon which travels a single soul who needs to hear the gospel. It may be a road that goes into your place of work. It may be a road that leads into your school, your high school, your college. It may be a road that leads into your extended family. But for each of us, there is a road upon which travels a single soul who needs to hear the gospel. Can I say that again? For each of us, there is a road upon which travels a single soul that needs to hear the gospel. And yes, we're called to the place of gathering, to minister in that place of gathering, but we're also called to that road, into the lives of people as they journey through this light. On this road, verse 27 says, was a man of Ethiopia. He had served the queen of Ethiopia, which is in North Africa. He had charge of all her treasury and who had come to Jerusalem to worship and now he was returning home. This was Philip's divine assignment. It was an appointment that God had set up. And so important was this appointment that God sent an angel to remind Philip of it. How many have ever forgotten an appointment? Nobody here has ever forgotten an appointment. How many need an altar call for lying? How many didn't really keep an appointment because you didn't want to keep an appointment? See, I imagine it was a little hard for Philip, maybe, to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit to leave the crowd. And to see all these people getting saved and healed and delivered was kind of hard for him to hear that prompting. He was conflicted about it, and so God had to make it very clear to Philip, and He had to send an angel to get Philip's attention and make sure that he did not miss the appointment. Listen, don't miss the appointment that God has set up. There are single souls all around us. It's not just about church and serving in the ministry here. There are souls all around us. There are divine appointments that God has set up that we need to discern and be prepared for. Amen? A couple of things to note about the eunuch. First, the eunuch was a lot different than Philip. He was a different color, different race, different culture, probably a black man different accent, different clothing, but none of that mattered to Philip because as different as he may have been, he was just as valuable to God. God loved him and was drawing him and wanted him to be saved, which reminds us that there is no place for discrimination or racism in the body of Christ. Amen? White people, black people, Asian people, Hispanic people, we all have one thing in common, we are all lost people who need a savior. That's the gospel. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And listen, it is not colonialism to share the gospel. Philip was not colonizing the Ethiopian. That's a doctrine of, of secular humanism and atheism that has been hijacked by postmodernism and and critical race theory to try to undermine the call to take the gospel to the world as though we're trying to Americanize or colonize the world with missions. Let me remind you, the gospel is not a white man's religion. Let me say it again. The gospel is not a white man's religion. Can I remind you that Jesus was a dark-skinned Middle Eastern man? He was a Jew who spoke Hebrew and Greek, and Aramaic, as were all the apostles. None of them spoke English, none of them had white skin, and none of them flew the American flag. Hello? Secondly, this Ethiopian eunuch was a man of great influence, a man of wealth, of power, of influence and authority, which reminds us that it's easy to be intimidated by certain classes of people when it comes to sharing the gospel. People who seem to have it all together. People who seem to not need Jesus because they have everything else that they need, right? We feel like, well, you know, he, she's not, she's not, you know, homeless. She's not a drug addict. He's not, you know, struggling to pay, you know, his, his bills, right? Listen, don't be intimidated by someone because they seem to have their act all together. Don't be intimidated by someone who seems to be wealthy or rich or influential or a leader, right? Or because they're a wealthy neighbor or they have a nice home. Don't be intimidated by that because rich, wealthy neighbors need Jesus just as much as the homeless guy on the street. And here's this rich powerful man. Verse 28 says, he was sitting in his chariot. And what's he doing in his chariot? Counting his money? He's reading the gospel. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah chapter 53, which is what? The gospel. The most, the most famous messianic prophecy, in the, old, the most significant one in the Old Testament. He's reading this. So what's more significant than his wealth, what's more significant than his ethnicity, is that God was working in his life. That God was drawing him. That God was pulling him. That God was preparing him for salvation. This guy had probably never heard preaching. He'd probably never heard the gospel. Never seen a miracle. Never been to church, right? But God was working on him without church. God was drawing him without hearing a preacher and without seeing miracles, We need to realize that the Holy Spirit is working on people around us every day. That God is drawing people around us every day. He is not willing that any should perish, Paul wrote, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And the Holy Spirit does not sit idle and inactive and waiting for you and me to speak. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing people, convicting and convincing people of sin and righteousness and judgment. Some of you know what I'm talking about right now. Some of you are here today. And you're here maybe because you don't fully understand all the things that you've been reading and hearing. right? But God's been doing something in your life. God's been drawing you. He's been sending people into your life. He's been reminding you that he is God. Maybe you've been hearing things on TV or on the radio or even on the news or seeing things on the internet or reading things wherever or encountering people at work, and and you're constantly being reminded that there is a God who is alive and who loves you and whose son died on the cross for your sins. What is that? That's God speaking to you and gently drawing you. You could be that Ethiopian man in the chariot right now. You know, the Billy Graham Association, I think it was the Billy Graham Association, they reported that it takes nine interactions with the gospel before a person will receive Christ. Now, I don't know know if that's true, and I don't know how you quantify that, but the point that I take away from that I think is significant that before someone comes to Christ that they will have numerous interactions with the gospel to prepare them and if it is nine and you are one of those nine interactions with the gospel you could be the third one you could be the fifth one you could be the ninth one you could be the first one the point is this paul said one plants another waters but god gives the increase Amen? And our job is not so much to make converts. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to sow the seed. Sow the seed. Speak the word. Remind people Jesus is Savior. God loves you. Amen? Amen? Think about the process in this man's life. At some point in this man's life, someone told him about Moses. Another person told him about the prophets. Another day, maybe he heard priests reading from The scrolls of Isaiah. A month later, maybe he met a scribe who was selling a copy of Isaiah. And one day, while riding in his chariot, he meets some guy named Philip. It's a process, step by step by step. Don't get frustrated or discouraged because someone you work with or someone in your family is not receptive or open to what you're sharing with them about the gospel. Don't worry about that. They're on a journey. They're in a process. God is working. Amen? God is working. Just be faithful. Live the life. Shine the light. Speak the truth. Show them that you love Jesus. Show them that you love Jesus. Speak openly about your Savior and your faith. Speak openly. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Hallelujah. And see how the Holy Spirit just takes the testimony of who you are and works in their lives. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 29 says, The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. The Spirit said to Philip, Go near, overtake the chariot. Was it an audible voice? I don't know. It didn't have to be. Because the Holy Spirit has a way of speaking to us, leading us without an audible voice. It's called discernment. Amen? How many know what discernment is? Yes? Discernment, right? But it amazes me how many people brag about having a gift of discernment, yet they never witness to lost people. The most important part of discernment. I mean, they'll tell you how they discern things about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They'll tell you how they discern things about Donald Trump and what's happening in Washington, D.C. They'll tell you they can discern who the Antichrist is. But they can discern all these things out there, but they can't discern how God is preparing and drawing and convicting the person that they sit next to at work every day. Be led by the Spirit. It's not an audible voice, it's a burden. It's an inner awareness. It's a sensitivity that God puts some person on your heart. Have you ever had that? Where God just puts some person, someone on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Amen. Yes? And it does require a prayerful intentionality. Where we, in the morning before we leave the house, we say, Lord, help me to be sensitive to the person you're drawing to yourself today. Lord, show me the Ethiopian eunuch. Amen. Go near and overtake his charge. Verse 30 says, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And and the man said, do you, or, or Philip said to the man, do you understand what you are reading? Philip ran, now look at this, Philip ran to him and heard him reading. That tells me that to be an effective soul winner, there needs to be some kind of effort on our part. If we're going to be an effective witness, that we can't just wait around until somebody comes to us, that we've got to do more than just invite people to church or preach or quote scriptures and give out tracts, Philip put himself in a position where he could engage the man, he could hear the man, he could come alongside the man and make a connection to the man. Meaning that we need to position ourselves in a way in people's lives so that we can hear people. We can listen to them. We can understand them. What are they going through? What are their challenges? What are the difficulties in their life? And we can come alongside of them and become a relevant factor in their lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not just a street preacher shouting at them from across the sidewalk. Now, it may not in your life, it may not be literally running alongside a chariot. It might be helping them fix a car. It might be helping them paint the room or, or stain their deck. It might be helping them or offering to watch their kids or bring them groceries or be there for them in some way when they're needing. It's called running alongside. If you're going to be an effective witness, you've got to learn how to run alongside of people and how, how to listen to them, how to hear them, and how to understand them so that you can respond to them in a way that's relevant to their lives, in a way that we can connect and add value. Everybody say add value. Effective witnesses need to learn how to add value to other people's lives, not just make converts, but add value to them. Verse 31, how can I, the, the, the Ethiopian said, how can I, Understand what I'm reading about Isaiah. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. This is about relationship. To actually come up and sit to have a place, to hold a place in someone's life. Meaning that you are trusted enough That you've earned the trust to be invited into someone's chariot and become a part of their journey. Hallelujah. How many are getting that connection? See, too many people, they're trying to shout the gospel from a distance without first getting into the chariot. When we take time to to build a relationship, it builds trust right? When we take time to, to run alongside someone and make an effort to take interest in their life, to help them where they need help, to add value to their life. So now we start to earn credibility and earn trust, and what do they do? They invite us into their chariot, and now we have a seat in their, in their journey. And when you have that seat, now you've earned the right to ask serious questions about spiritual things. How many know that those can be very personal questions? Amen. Right? And not everybody wants to talk about those things unless you've taken the time to run alongside, earned credibility, and been invited into the chariot. Amen? Tell somebody, get invited into the chariot. Will you tell them that just you got to get invited into the chariot? All right. <laughs> Once Philip is in the chariot, the eunuch shows him he is reading from Isaiah chapter 53, which I said is the most powerful prophecy about Christ uh, in the Old Testament. So in verse 34, he asks Philip, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? What a softball question that is. How many would love to get that question? Right? from a co-worker how would you love it if tomorrow someone comes onto the job or into work or whatever and they say hey you know what i was reading my bible last night and i was reading in this book called isaiah and 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 it was talking about you know this this servant who would die and give his life for the sins of his people what does all that mean could you imagine someone asking you that at work i mean wouldn't that be awesome right that's, that's, easy. that's I mean, that's low-hanging fruit. That's an amazing opportunity, right? Everybody say opportunity. Now, you may not get an opportunity like that, but if you're listening to the Spirit and you're prayerful and intentional, you will see that there are opportunities. They may not be so obvious, right? But that's where we have to be wise. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is what? Is wise, right? Is insightful, is strategic, is understanding and discerning. We have to be wise. How can we intentionally move the conversation toward the gospel? How can we do that? How can we turn the conversation from the weather to Jesus died on the cross? Right? Amen? What did you do this weekend? Oh, I did this. I did that. What did you do? Oh, I went to church. Oh, you went to church? Yeah. Do you go to church? Yeah, I go to so-and-so church. Oh, yeah? Why do you go to that church? What do you love about that church? Maybe they'll tell you something that they like about that Well, I don't know. I just was raised in that church. You say, and then you can say, you know what I love about my church? What I love about my church is how they teach everyone how they can know for certain that they have eternal life. Can I ask you a question? Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you would know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would have eternal life? You can bring the conversation towards Jesus if you're prayerful and discerning and intentional. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is where we have to have faith and know that the Holy Spirit will guide us and give us the words and that the Holy Spirit will quicken the hearts of the people that we're talking to. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Do you know that God gives us the Holy Spirit not so, so we can just feel warm fuzzies up and down our spine during worship, but so that we can be effective witnesses, so that we can discern how God is drawing Ethiopian eunuchs, how, so we can be wise in how to run alongside of them and earn a seat in their chariot, and how we can be strategic in being able to turn the conversation toward the gospel, amen? Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit is given to us for. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me bring this to a close. So verse 35, it says, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. I like how it says, Philip opened his mouth and preached. Because too many people say, well, you know, I'm a I'm a silent witness, you know. I believe in that saying that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, let me remind you that it is absolutely crucial and necessary to use words. Okay? It's very rare that somebody is going to come to you and they're going to say to you, you know, I've been watching you for the past five years and I'm so impressed by your character. You know, what is it about you that I need in my life? I mean, it's very rare. That could happen. It could, and and it may have happened to you, but it's very rare, okay? That's usually not how it works. It says, Philip opened his mouth, beginning at the scripture. What does that mean? Not only did he open his mouth, but he was skilled in his use and his understanding of the scriptures. He knew the Word of God. He was able to explain the Word of God. He was able to take the Word of God and make it relevant to that person's life. And understand something. The Word of God is crucial in our gospel communications because the Word of God has power. When you say to someone, there is, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. When you say to someone that the wages of sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The word of God has weight. Amen? Amen? The Bible says that his word will not return void, that it shall accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent. So Philip opened his mouth, beginning at the scriptures, he used the word of God, and what did he do? He preached Jesus everybody say preach Jesus preach Jesus not politics hello not conspiracy theories not what do you think about covid and the vaccine okay he didn't preach about the antichrist and end times he didn't say well if you come to Jesus he'll fix your marriage if you come to Jesus he'll bless your finances if you come to Jesus you know he'll bless your life with abundance no that's no he didn't promise unique things that Jesus never promised. He preached the Savior. He preached the Messiah. He explained the reason why Jesus came is because you and I are lost. We are sinners. We are destined to an eternal hell, separation from God. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whose name is Jesus, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've got to be bold. We've got to be direct. Yes, we've got to learn how to run alongside and listen and earn trust and credibility and be invited into the chariot. Yes, we've got to learn how to add value and all those things. But there comes a point where we've got to open our mouths, beginning at the scripture, and preach Jesus to a lost world. Because if we don't give them Jesus, we've given them nothing. 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 Jesus is what this world needs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, help us today, God. Help us, Lord, to be effective witnesses. All around us, Lord, there are Ethiopian eunuchs, God. They're in their chariot, on that lonely road, on their journey, Lord God. Help us, God, not to be oblivious to the condition of their soul. Holy Spirit, put something in us today. Come on, let's stand together. Holy Spirit. Put something in us today that awakens us to the urgency, Lord God. To the necessity, Lord God. To build relationships with lost people. To take a seat in their chariot and in their journey. And Lord, to be able to open our mouth and beginning at the scripture, preach Jesus to this world. Help us, God. I don't know about you, but I want to be a better witness. Amen? Too many lost people. And I don't know how many years I have left on this earth. Amen? Right? It just seems they just seem to be just. (laughs) Amen? This is our purpose to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that wherever we are and wherever life takes us, that we are bold in demonstrating the reality that Jesus is my Savior. Laugh at me, mock me, marginalize me. I don't care. Jesus is my Savior. Hallelujah. And you need him too. Let's be bold, church. So listen, as we close, if your heart is to be a more effective witness, just lift a hand to the Lord right now. and Just say, yes, Lord, I'm lifting my hand, God, because I want to be more effective, Lord. I want to be a better witness, Lord God. I want to be a Philip. Lord, I want to be like Philip, Lord God. Lord, I want that wherever I am. Everyone around me knows that I'm a Christ follower. In the office, on the job site, in the classroom, in the social setting, at the family gathering. I may not get to preach the gospel. I may not be able to open the Bible. But at least people can know that I'm a Christ follower and Jesus is my king. I want the world to know. Come on, lift up that other hand. I want the world around me to know that Jesus is my king, Lord. Make me an effective witness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to open the altars. We're going to dismiss the service. I'm going to open the altars. If you want to spend some time, just come before the Lord. You can kneel, find a place, build an altar. You can come and stand. We'll pray with you. Just for the Lord to stir this up in our hearts. To fill us anew with the Holy Spirit. That we will be effective witnesses for our majesty, the King of Kings. Amen. So, Father, for those that need to go, I want to pray your blessing on each life, that as we go from this sanctuary, Lord God, we will do so with a burden, with a burden to reach the Ethiopian eunuchs all around us, Lord God. Give us that burden, Lord God. And for those that come forward for prayer, Lord, I pray that you'll meet us at this altar, Lord, with a new and fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to go, you can go. You can go right out the back doors there into the cafe. If you want to just remain, take some time, worship the Lord, get prayed for, the altars are open. Let's seek the Lord together today.